Welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show where we take you back through all of human history and give you examples of unbelievable stupidity that have led to colossal mistakes. And hopefully you can take lessons from those instances and never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. Mistakes are our bread and butter. Joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I am doing well. Uh, awesome. I got both of my children now through all of the required schooling, so I am a winner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're both they're both done now. You can you can rest easy. Uh oh oh now they're not... their own responsibility. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh they're they're on their uh, they're on their own from this point. No more help. It's if, it's done if now. They do well. Then I helped them, and if they don't, then I don't. I don't know what happened. Man. That's been my mother's <laughs> attitude my entire life. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that pragmatism. Yeah, that's 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 a bit of me in there. And then I fuck up. She's like, I don't know. What, I don't know. That's nothing to do with me. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I completely get that feeling, and uh, it's good to be able to be in that position. I've just opened up Word, and my worst nightmare has come to realization. Uh, my my um, script is completely blank. <gasps> So all of that work I put in um, has just disappeared. Uh, uh -oh. Maybe, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a look. All right. Uh, but I, I suspect it's not there. But don't worry, I have a, I have a backup plan because <laughs> I'm prepared for these situations. Sometimes, let me see if I open it from. There it is. All right. <sighs> see, I am unprepared for that. If that were to happen to me, I would just be totally screwed. No, I, I just, I just do this. Like, yeah, just like stare blank blankly at the screen. Uh, no, I just, um, it would have just gone to Wikipedia and cheated, to be honest. Uh, before we get going, sorry, is that just what we're doing? Uh, no, that's not. <laughs> no, no, never think of sorry. Such a thing. Uh, <laughs> if, um, if you'd like to follow us on social media, which I've now included in the scroll at the bottom there, please go to um, History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram. You can go to Greatest Idiots on Twitter to give us a follow. It's scrolling along the bottom for those of you following us on video. You can go to patreon.com slash History's Greatest Idiots and sling us some money. It would be really welcome right now because Derek and I are in somewhat of a, an interesting period in our lives, I think it'd be fair to say, and um, we'd love to make this full-time. And uh, I'll be talking about a little bit more about the potential for that in, in a couple of minutes, because I've just come back from a podcast trade show, the biggest podcast trade show in Europe, actually, which was cool. Oh, yeah. You, I, I've seen some shots yeah. on your story on Instagram. That's right. Yeah, it including a fan cool. that's going backwards. Uh, 
Yes, it was so cool. I'll tell you about it in a second. I just finished with the um, socials. And um, also, if you go onto YouTube, you can find uh, History's Greatest Idiots, every single episode we've ever done, uploaded in glorious 720p, maybe 1080p. I don't know. Probably in color. In color. It moves. That's about <laughs> it. Um, it's not a series of paintings that you have to interpret. It's not the Bayer tapestry. Um, so, yes, you will find our video on um, YouTube. Just search for History's Greatest Idiots and you will find us there. And, uh, yeah, I, I so back to this trade show. So that, a couple of stories I want to tell you. The podcast show in London, 2023, it was supposed to happen in 2020. Didn't happen because of COVID, 2021. I don't think it happened because of COVID as well. And then 2022 um, kind of started, but it was a little bit like um, step like step back a little bit, like it was smaller than it was supposed to be. This year was like kind of the big relaunch after three years in the kind of the wilderness. And it was amazing. There were like, I think it was over a thousand people there on any one time. It was absolutely rammed with human beings stalls there like sky and Acast and man the bbc and just like a bunch of other independent organizations uh shaw were there with their microphones and uh, a bunch of other like suppliers and stuff i had really interesting conversations with them i'll get to that in a little minute and okay. um yeah just um i i could have not fed myself all day because you could just graze on sweets and treats because every stall had their own like little sacrifices and i got so many <laughs> i got so many free things um in kind of various stages one person a couple of people gave me a bottle of water spotify were very nice to me spotify thank you so much they they offered me sandwiches and i felt really guilty i was like i'll just take an apple and some water if you don't mind so i lovely <laughs> bottle of water from spotify thank you so much and um a, a bottle of water from um, a microphone manufacturer who i will be talking to in the not too distant future really interesting products from, from them um, and then I got, uh, I went to Riverside, who produce excellent um, recording software, kind of similar to what we use um, in StreamYard, but slightly different interface. Um, I got about eight microphone covers free of charge from them, just because nice. really nice conversation. <laughs> um, and then I had a really long conversation with Heil, who are a microphone. Uh, company that have been producing products since the 1960s their first big clients were like the who and oh. and like i think led zeppelin and and people and the uh, mamas and papas and stuff like that their microphones were used by uh, a bunch of pop stars and then it kind of went as things went on it became a bit of a legendary uh broadcast microphone they um all of the bloomberg pod podcasts now use heil exclusively and um, I was having a really good chat with this this guy who was like CT. I can't remember if he was CTO. Anyway, really lovely chat, and we did it through microphones. So oh, I cool. felt like I was on a podcast. Um, <laughs> and I was talking about, oh, you know, the low end's really good on this one. And he was like, "What do you think of this one?" And I was like, oh, "That's that's kind of a bit more varied. That's probably more aimed towards a female voice." And he was like, "That's exactly what it's aimed for." Um, and yeah, I was talking about how we're trying to improve in my day job how i'm trying to improve my clients um audio setup and stuff like that and then at the end of the conversation he was like do you want this microphone i was like what he was like oh, yeah wow. i've promised this one to someone else but do you want this microphone and i was like 
isn't that like $350 worth of microphone? He's like, yeah, do you want it? And I was like, fuck, yes, I want that microphone. <laughs> so here is my old Rode Procaster microphone, which is, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm probably going to hang on to this. It's still one of the best microphones you can get on the market. And I've kind of got a special attachment to it because it got me an awful lot of work, this microphone. Yeah, like it's... all of my voice acting career has been done through this. and It's like your first car exactly yeah it's like you don't want to let go of it and actually like unlike unlike my first car which was a piece of shit this is a really good <laughs> microphone and also you know if someone ever breaks into my house i can use it for self-defense because this thing weighs like over a pound and it is all metal so i could just club someone to death with it so i'm currently using the heil pr40 which i'll just take the cover off it's going to be a bit loud i apologize in advance for this i'll just make noise over the top of it there we go. Look how golden it is. Oh, wow. It's, shiny. it's so gold. It's shiny. Uh, the only thing is um, it doesn't fit inside my shock mount, my microphone shock mount. So it's sort of hanging in there by the skin of its teeth. So I'm <laughs> looking to buy a Heil shock mount, which is about $100. So I will save a little bit for that one. But uh, yeah, it's a wonderful microphone. I'm going to put the cover back on now. Okay, and, uh, we'll talk over the noise that it makes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and in terms of free stuff, I mean, the tickets for the two-day event were £99. This microphone cost £300. I think I've done quite well out of the deal, to be honest oh, with yeah. you, just by That's, going there. It's good stuff. And I learned a load of stuff about what advertisers are looking for from podcasts and how advertisers are now. Instead of going for like gigantic, big brand podcasts, they're now starting to spread the money around through smaller advertisers, uh, through smaller podcasters even so smaller following uh they don't get you won't get paid as much but you will get advertising and the uh the kind of the two ways to do that is to join a network of other podcasts mm -hmm. that already exist and pull your resources together and um the other way is to sell directly to advertisers and the one thing they look for is direct engagement with the audience they want to see that you are part of a thriving community that is really engaged with your podcast so if you guys happen to follow us on social media, please let us know, drop us a message, leave us a review, because stuff like that really helps us with advertisers so that we can make this a full-time gig. So, Not yeah. to mention, I, I like anybody talking to me. I need friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, we, we need friends. We're, we're men of a certain age. We don't have a huge amount of friends anymore. Yep, so, they've all wandered know. off. They do. They have families. Like, I've got, like, one, uh, other than Derek, obviously, and, like, uh, my wife, <laughs> and like people I work with, I have like one really close friend, and like like someone I would consider my best friend who I've known for like twenty plus years. So that's like that's like a lifelong connection, not quite right. at my point, half a lifelong connection. But yeah, um, I think if you'd like if you'd like to get in touch with us and talk to us about anything, please do. I, I have I, I'm very lucky. I have a lot of connections with people in the analog horror community and they're all really super welcoming and loving and stuff but if you want to get in touch with us specifically about the podcast please do i mean we've made lovely connections with um uh with laurel from hightailing through history yeah. yeah and i've managed to get her some work through that as well hosting some podcasts so that's that's really cool get paid for it it's good so, stuff it is. <laughs> so yeah um loads of stuff happening derek i know your son graduated uh, had his graduation party yesterday yep so, yeah the family came over and cards and cake and cookouts nice. and cornhole and it was good times that's really good man you know i i i kind of miss things like that it's difficult when you're working you know getting together in big 
collections of people, especially like in the UK, because we're all spread out. Like there's people in the north and the east and south and stuff. And, you know, it's like the trains are so shit. It just takes us hours to get together. Um, Tosazoid, uh, currently battling the French for the fate of the galaxy. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to know what you're there. playing. I, I think that'll be out. Is that Alpha Centauri? It might be part of... Uh, yeah, because I, I play some games like that, but mine are a bit more historic. So, uh, yes, welcome to Osteroid. Yeah, it's it's nice that uh, Stellaris, yes, that's part of the uh, the pack of games that come with that. So, yeah, love that game. Um, so, yeah, new microphone, graduation day, loads of stuff happening in this world, uh, some stuff that we can't talk about right now in our, in our lives, but, yeah, um, but we've talked about it off, yeah. offline, and <clears throat> the support is 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 thank you thank you for the support derek that was really helpful so um now that we've got 12 minutes of rambling out of the way uh, <laughs> would you like to tell us about your special amazing person this week please well it, it is special and amazing and and weird and i'm not mm. actually even sure that he's an idiot okay per se but i just wanted to talk about him because it's interesting if, if anything right. he's just full of shit Really? Okay, I can't wait for this one. And the weird thing is, too, is most of the information that you can get out there is stuff that he put out by himself. He had put out for him. The He's controlled the authorized biographies, and a lot of the stories people know about him are just shitty made up. Wow. And so I'm going to present that, and I'm going to present some of the stuff where it debunks or proves that he was full of it. And okay. This, this might be the first time. I'm not even sure if any of it's real or not, other than that what he did still exists. Okay. So, um, and and maybe weird and quirky and unreal is the way he wanted to be remembered. So here we go. Okay. He's born on April 11th, 1930, in Chicago, Illinois, and from an early age, he had like a strong interest in music, which his parents supported. He was the child of immigrants and they ended up uh, moving to California before he started high school and his love of music uh, got him to play the oboe in in high school okay he had more of a, a draw towards keyed instruments if it hmm. can be a thing but he was into yeah, yeah. accordion and in piano and organ and things like that and no it's not weird al but that would have been a good one. That would have been a great one. <laughs> uh, at the age of 16, he ran away to join the circus, uh, the Clyde Beatty Circus. Mm. He claims that he started first as a cage boy in a roustabout, but later on moved on to play the Calliope in yes. some traveling carnivals. Okay. And I didn't know what that was. And for folks that are like me, and they don't know what the hell that is, yeah. um, I've got a picture that I'm going to share. Oh, yeah, yeah. But That's... it's basically a steam organ piano sort of okay. thing. Right, and it's all on, right. on wheels and pulled Ooh. by a... Uh, uh, Being pulled by a donkey. A name? donkey or a horse. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm on the wrong page. Whoop. Nope, you don't get oh, that that's one. a pretty no. house that you've got there, though. Oops. No, no. Oh, no. Okay, I'm bad at this. <laughs> we need a producer. Um, we, do, we really do need a producer, yeah. Here we go. This should be the shared one. Let me remove that. And okay. Anyway, so it's a steam organ thing, and I'll get to it eventually when I find yeah. it. Sure. Um, it's fine. Uh, 
according to his stories, he, he would play tunes like the Harlem Nocturne by Earl Hagen okay. and do all kinds of weird and, and creepy things. <laughs> and he would see the same men on the Saturday night uh, bowdy show that okay. turned up the next day to, dang it, uh, the tent revival on Sunday. And okay. that kind of shaped his cynical view and, and take on religion, which right. guided him to what he is most known for, mm-hmm. which we'll get into. Uh, okay. At 18, in the winter of 1948, he took his love of music indoors and started working as an organist in bars and lounges and nightclubs, All which right. I did not know that they had uh, no. organists in bars and nightclubs. It doesn't seem like a thing that uh, they would have. But No, uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. Like um, there was a thing in there's a, a thing in Victorian England where every house had like a piano or certain types of houses had a piano and it, you know, most people could play the piano to a certain level because it was part of the home entertainment package. So yeah. uh, basically people are, you know, playing the piano in the parlor as part of after dinner entertainment. And that obviously as time has gone by and houses have gotten smaller and living standards have kind of shrunk, um, that's gone away. So I wonder if this is like a hangover, of that oh wow look at that there we go i finally oh my found God, a I've picture seen of the those. Calliope. and i have it looks seen like it's this. got a little gremlin in the back there that runs the steam engine oh, but that's so cool that's what he played until he was 18 and went indoors and started playing organs in a bar like a weirdo um <laughs> while playing organ for bars mm. he also says mm-hmm. that he had a brief affair with okay. a little unknown person at the time goes by the name now that people know of Marilyn Monroe. Well, she was a burlesque dancer at the Mayan theater. Okay. Problem with the story is according to the Mayan theater manager and people that know Marilyn Monroe, she mm. never worked at the Mayan theater and mm. the venue never was used for burlesque shows. So, okay. so <laughs> first was- line of bullshit. Yeah, he's selling some sizzle here. Yeah. It's it's just one in many string of tall tales or whoppers that mm. were strung along by this gentleman, uh the char- charismatic Howard Stanton Levy, also Howard known Stanton. as Anton Sanzor Levey, the founder of the Church of Satan and the religion known as Satanism. Okay. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. Yep, uh let's see. I got a picture of him for those that are watching again. Yes. Those of you who are joining us live, thank you so much. Um, I yeah, I, I'm aware of the Church of Satan. They've kind of become a little bit more high profile recently. And Father to Taylor Swift. Wow, that's harsh, Tosazoid. Uh, <laughs> yes, there he is. There he <laughs> Do, is, yeah. Doing his weirdness that he that's did. definitely the 60s, for sure. <laughs> so we've got it for those of those of you listening we had a picture of a man dressed as satan standing over a blonde woman who sat on the floor with a petrified looking stuffed tiger holding like a crystal skull and on the table there's another crystal skull and it's uh, there's a rock wall background going on probably a shag yeah. pal carpet under there it's the most 60s cult <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your life and and that dude for real it's basically what you think of when you think of 60s occult oh, yeah. weird 
Yeah. Stuff. Exactly. Um, okay. Now I lost where I was. Uh oh. <laughs> anyway, so he started the Church of Satan and Satanism, and he right. wrote a few books to go along with the whole thing the Satanic mm-hmm. Bible, super original mm-hmm. name. Uh, yeah the satanic rituals because you got to have rituals or wouldn't be interesting i don't think and Mm. all kinds of other satan-based books he was writing and you know now that you know who i'm talking to let's jump back into his biography a little bit he Mm. moved to san francisco in the 50s and met a woman named carol lansing they were married the following year when she was 15 years old okay Um, Shortly afterwards, she gave birth to LeVay's first daughter, Carla LeVay, born in 1952. And around that same time, there was a little thing called the Korean War going on. So in order to avoid being drafted for that, he studied criminology at the City College in San Francisco and got a job as a photographer for the San Francisco Police Department, where he actually worked for three years before he had this brilliant idea. And he thought, hey... I should dabble in becoming a psychic investigator. Maybe that's what he was doing there in that picture before, which right. it's totally something you can do, right? It's something you can claim you do for sure. I, I'm not casting aspersions on people yeah. from the psychic world, but yeah, this isn't like a, a TBS show. This isn't like uh, I, I died for 30 seconds and now I can speak to the dead and I'm a detective as well. It's not that doesn't happen in real life. So, are you sure? Mm, no, I'm never sure. <laughs> but let's go with maybe. maybe. Maybe, maybe it could be, perhaps. Maybe. Um. So he dodges the draft. He's full of shit. I mean, he's <laughs> he's being a psychic investigator. Sorry. And yeah. in 1960, he gets divorced from Carol okay. because he became involved with another woman, Diane. Mm. Uh. Haggerty, I think I said that right. Okay. H E G A R T Y. Okay. And though Diane and LeVay actually were never married, she was his companion for 24 years and mothered his second child, Xena. Mm -hmm. Worry Princess. Galatea Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even know if that's right. What the fuck? Xena Galaxy Shrek. Xena Galaxy Shrek. I mean, that's like Frank Zappa levels of cruel child naming right there. Jesus. It's totally um, not right. I made all of that up, but Shrek. not just the name part. It's Xena Galati Shrek. It's C-S-C-H-R-E-C-K. Yes, just Shrek, straight up Shrek. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so she's born in 1963, yeah. and he raises her up in... 1966 something happens but uh, i'll get to it uh their relationship lasted 24 years like i said and what's neat is though they weren't married when they did split up she sued for palimony and ends up taking something super important from him which i'll get to so around that same time while he's married and having his second daughter (laughs) donkey donkey (laughs) (laughs) thank you um He's friends with a bunch of writers at a place called Weird Tales Magazines. I know that magazine. Oh, my God. That's in, that's kind of legendary. And oh he, he's friends with all of those writers and yeah. maybe biting some weird tales of his own off of that. And it, it yeah. kind of expired, inspired him as a writer and purveyor of his own brand of 
religious fantasy, I guess. Right. Um, Well, it's a recognized religion now because I don't want to piss them off or they'll show up with that statue and I won't let them have it back because it's too fucking cool. Yeah, actually, Um, a big respect for the Church of Satan right now. (laughs) Oh yeah, so. they're they're my favorite ones when it comes to like prayer in school and things because yeah. it's like yeah, and, do like, it. Abortion rights and stuff like the the Church of Satan right now are one of the most progressive religions in the world. And, you know, I think though that uh, some of the more evangelical Christians may say that that's the whole point. Yeah, they'd that argue our that progress that is evil. Yes, or or possibly that they're doing it for publicity. Either way, being on the side of, you know, female bodily autonomy, I don't think that's oh. a bad thing. Yeah, and dude, you know you suck when I'm choosing to side with the Church of Satan, Satan. over you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that maybe you swap places at this point. So, okay, he's hanging out with these people, and he's becoming kind of a local celebrity in San Francisco through his paranormal research and live performance as an organist and he he played the Wurlitzer at the Lost Weekend Cocktail Lounge and he he drove around in a corners van (laughs) walked around with a pet black leopard named Zoltan wow he's living up to the lifestyle and he lived in that that super cool all black house uh, yeah man called the called black house that is, Which, and what is like jammed in there between like two other white houses, right? Yeah, it's in San Francisco. It's the wedged in like three story um, San Francisco type houses, yeah. but it's all black with red brick steps leading up to like a black door with a portal. Is what it looks like. Yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? That's, I mean, it's a it's a good looking house. You certainly wouldn't be able to see it at night with all the lights off. So, um, I I wouldn't mind it. Honestly. I wouldn't at all. That's like a San Francisco real estate. That's actually quite a nice house, you know. Um, yes, I shall give w- women power over their own lives and make medical care free. <laughs> evil. Decide. That's so evil. evil. Giving people free access to healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So at this black house, he starts mm. presenting Friday night lectures on occult rituals, mm. and a member of his like inner circle suggests that maybe he starts a new religion okay and that's when it happens according to levey himself on well wall snatch i don't know <laughs> what the hell it is on april 30th 1966 he real uh, ritualistically shaved his head and uh, allegedly in the tradition of an ancient executioner uh, declared the founding of the church of satan and proclaimed 1966 as year one anno santanas the first year of the age of satan and okay uh it was actually later demonstrated that levey shaved his head because he lost a bet right and actually made up the ancient executioner story because the dude is a salesman and he's yeah mostly full of shit mostly yeah that's fine um according to some Anton LaVey's entire image was clipped. It was stolen. It was a bite off of an occult themed episode of the show, the wild, wild West, which is like a (laughs) sci-fi Western sort of thing. It was the, uh, the episode was titled the night of the Druids blood, which aired on May 25th, 1966, Ah. like, like a month 
been five days before or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and here's the kicker. The episode starred Don Rickles as an evil magician and satanic cult leader, Asmodeus. Asmodeus, okay. He had a, a I don't even know how to say this, a Mesophysiothian persona mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that was pretty much exactly the same as the one LeVay used a month later when he founded his church. It was basically Don Rickles' character founded the Church of Satan a la vis-a-vis Anton LaVey. Sure. And actually a lot <laughs> of the stuff he's talking about and that's going on in this episode, it's very reminiscent and uh, it would have been around about the same time. Um, who remembers the Beatles Sgt. Pepper album? Not me. I wasn't alive at that time. Um, the cover art came out in 1967, but um, there was a big kind of... The occult was coming back again with the hippie movement and there was a big focus on Alistair Crowley, who oh, yeah. we may do in this podcast because he is a fucking horrible human being. But um, yeah, um, Alistair Crowley also shaved his head and kind of talked about stuff like this. Do as thou wilt or want or whatever it is. Right. Uh, yeah. So there's like there's definitely influences of previous occultists going on and like secret societies in this like quite a quite commercialized american version which is really really interesting because obviously there is american occult stuff going back you know hundreds of years right oh, yeah, way we, back we like occults and yeah. cults um so is- there's definitely like a, a, a modern take on like traditional occultist themes here it's really cool I just find it funny that he based his character on like a comedic sort of character. I mean, it's Don Rickles for God's it's sake. Don Rickles, of course. And also um, the Wild Wild West. Um, this is not to get sidetracked. Uh, if you ever get a chance to watch the truly horrific film version of that, starring Will Smith and um, oh, what's his name? Oh, that, that's gone from my uh, mind now. The guy that played Dave in yeah. that that President movie, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember his name either. <laughs> oh, that's so annoying. Um, and he, I always said Chevy Chase, but that's not right. Uh, he married Phoebe Cates. Lucky bastard. Um, oh. Yeah. And also um, a British Fast actor. Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's and, and also like the British actor and director, um, Kenneth Branagh, is like chewing the scenery in that. And also it was famously produced by um, John Peters who approached Kevin Smith about directing the uh, relaunched Superman film, which eventually became the 2006 Superman film. And he was like, three things. We're doing a Superman film. Three things. You can't fly. Don't want to see him flying. Nah. Two, can't have a cape. Don't want to see him wearing a cape. That's ridiculous. And three, at the end of the film, he's got to fight a giant spider. He's like, why the hell do you want him to fight a giant spider? He's like, do you know anything about spiders? No. Spiders, the most terrifying uh, the most deadly animal in the animal kingdom and he was like <laughs> okay all right anyway um it never came about the superman film and uh kevin smith stayed in touch with this weird weird man john peters who started out as um barbara streisand's hairdresser that's how he became a big time hollywood producer wow he did a good job on her and he has a perfectly quaffed head of hair it's amazing <laughs> um and um <laughs> kevin smith said he came to my premiere to um ch- uh, chasing amy so um i felt obliged to go to his premiere which was um uh the wild wild west 
remake. Yeah, now I got that song stuck in my head, though. Well, well, where's... And, of course, he said he was sitting through the film thinking, my God, this is a piece of shit. This is a terrible film. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, giant mechanical spider in the final scene. Oh, dude hates spiders. He hates spiders. Or he wants a giant spider in his film. And he got it. He finally got it in one of the worst films for years. Can, if you're going to put it somewhere, just put it anywhere in the worst just, film. Just put it in there. We've got <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. Have him ride a giant spider, for God's sake. Um, go. Yeah. Sorry. But I just wanted to bring that out there. Giant spider. Sorry. Okay. Please carry it's on. It's all good. Well, back to the Satanistness. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, There's an alternate history yeah. novel where the USA takes, takes the place of the Soviet Union in world history with Al Capone replacing Joseph Stalin and Alistair Crowley re- replacing Rasputin. Man, I want to read that book. That would be That's, weird. That sounds fucking amazing. Holy shit. Yes, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alistair Crowley is Rasputin. That works. Uh, sorry, carry on with uh, uh, your occultist. Yeah, the other occultist over here, Alistair Crowley, in 1960... No, crap. Now I got it. It's Anton LaVey. I, I forget who I'm talking about. <laughs> Uh, Anton LaVey, 1967, following a san- satanic wedding that he officiated, he was dubbed the Black Pope by the media, and coverage kind of really started to kick off for him and his Church of Satan. And okay. not all of the hype was bad. It was kind of a few tongue-in-cheek sort of stories here and there, sure. but most yeah. of it wasn't great. They were sensationalizing and embellishing on, well, kind of like his own stories, just making shit up and making it scary and putting some sizzle on it and let's sell some advertising. Back in the USSA. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. A great book, yeah. That's a great name. It's a great name. I have to read that now. Um, where where's I? Oh, yeah, so he officiates this wedding and they're covering him in the stuff and people are shocked reading in the Los Angeles Times and the San Francisco Chronicle that this man is also performing the first satanic baptism in history for his own three-year-old daughter, Zena. You remember Shrek? (laughs) Uh, Dedicating her to Satan and the left-hand path, which apparently people that are left-handed are evil. Yeah, that's right. Yes, of course they are. That's the thing. The, The ritualistic ceremony was recorded and actually released on the Satanic Mass LP, which I didn't know was a thing, but now I've got to find. Yeah. Uh, also on that album, some satanic funerals and other fun things that I had no idea were a thing. But, oh, that sounds amazing. Uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, he just kind of threw together the mishmash of ideological influences from mm. Nietzsche and Ayn Rand and sure. uh, social Darwinism and kind of mm. came up with his own Church of Satan, where he wrote uh, the Satan's the Satanic Bible was actually a, a bunch of essays that he wrote that were reworked excerpts from Ragnar Redbeard's Might is Right. And right. then it kind of concluded with a, a Satanized version of John D's um Enochian Keys. And mm-hmm. so he's also a little bit of a uh, stealer of ideas. When he yeah. can't make up his own bullshit, he steals somebody else's bullshit. Yeah, uh, it's the Andrew Lloyd Webber of organized religion. Um. <laughs> his uh, book that I mentioned, The Satanic Rituals, actually included some ritual drawings that really resembled some H.P. Lovecraft sort of stuff. Right. Okay. 
And when he was questioned about the whole might is right thing, he stated, oh, yeah, I did that on purpose because I wanted to immortalize a writer who had profoundly reached me, which is what you say when you get caught stealing somebody's shit. Yeah, and you don't want to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Kiss their ass so they don't sue you. That's very smart. It's it was an homage. Yes. Anyway, I really like that work. In 1972, the public work at the Church of Satan at his black house in San Francisco was kind of scaled back and started happening out of sanctioned regional grottos. Ooh. <laughs> in June 1975, the editor of the church's newsletter, got to mm. have a church newsletter. Oh, of course, yeah. He left the Church of Satan and formed a theistic Temple of Set. And took a whole an unknown number of dissenters with him, but the the Church of Satan maintains that it was to clean house for members who didn't understand the satanic philosophy. Sure, mate. Sure, because you got to have a good understanding of some shit we just made up. That's Otherwise right. Yeah. Anyway, 1980, uh, the satanic panic is kind of a thing, and Levay yes. gets gets into the FBI's crosshairs. <laughs> And he ends up questioned in relation to an alleged plot to murder uh, Ted Kennedy. Wow. Okay. That's right. I didn't random. know that was a thing. No, but, I didn't I mean, either. maybe he's mad about the bridge incident yeah. and it had yeah. nothing to do with Satanism. Yeah, um, maybe. Anyway, so during that interview, the FBI talked to LeVay and he outright said most of the church's followers were, quote, fanatics, cultists, and weirdos. <laughs> He also said that uh, his interest in the Church of Satan was, quote, purely monetary, and <laughs> that he was mostly only involved in furnishing interviews and writing material. Mm. So right. basically, it's all about the money. Well, I mean, it's religion, right? Are we really that surprised? <laughs> hey, yeah. Even the Church of Satan wants your money. Okay? Exactly. At least they're honest about it. You know, at least there's not like like indulgences and all sorts of other stuff. Like, I, I hate to be a cynic here, but it seems that most of organized religion revolves around we will make you feel better for a price. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That seems to be my interpretation. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to offend anyone. I love that you find peace and and joy and wonderful things have come to your life through organized religion. I am not here to deter you from doing that at all whatever works for you and whatever brings you peace, that's totally fine. It's also important to acknowledge that these organized religions have incredible power and massive financial resources as a result of asking for donations. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And and he needed the money because remember that uh, Diane Hegarty? Yes. When they split up in July of 1984, she got a restraining order against him that he didn't even contest. Oh, wow. And then she got the house. The black what? house. Oh no. She took oh, it. Did she try and uh, paint it? Even though she she took the, mo- the 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 home in the settlement, she allowed him to live there until his death in 93. Oh. Um Wait. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Until Sorry, his Ed. death in 97. It was in 93, even though he was shacking up with another lady friend, Blanche Barton. She let Blanche. him stay there after that. Okay. And Blanche gave birth to his son. Are you ready? Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Satan, Xerxes, Karnaki. 
Oh, went with Karnaki. Okay, that's that's oh, kind of Levee. interesting. Love, of course. Yeah, you've got to have a bit of French in there. You've got to have that flair. He was um, he was born on November first, so right and, and you after said this was eight, this is eighty no sorry ninety three nineteen ninety three. His son was born. This, his this son dude's Satan. prime of life right now. We should track this this kid kid. He's younger than us by twelve years, so it's fine. We should track this kid down and see what's going on with him. Holy shit! Uh, there's not much on him, and the only thing that I could find was his baby picture with his dad. So, um, I mean, if anybody knows Satan, we'd yeah. like to talk to him. We would love to know Satan. Yeah, let's have a quick but chat. Satan, Xerxes, Karnacki, Levey, not the other not one. Not the actual Satan. That would be a difficult conversation for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm quite flatulent. I don't think Satan would appreciate that. Um, no, so, no, probably not. Uh, that's, wow, okay. And he died in that house in 1997. Uh, he died in a hospital. I'll get to that. Oh. In ni- in ninety seven, um, it's it's weird because mm. even his death, it's kind of hard to tell what's real and what's not, mm-hmm. what's showmanship and yeah, what's bullshit. Uh, according to his family, he died on October twenty ninth, nineteen ninety seven, at St. Mary's Medical Center in San Francisco. Wow, uh, that's a that's a Catholic hospital. Uh, but you know. Hippocratic oath. We've got to treat him. Have to. Uh, He he suffered a pulmonary edema, Mm. and it's listed on his death certificate, though, that the day he actually died was October 31st, 1997. Because it had to be Halloween, right? Of course it did. Yeah. Um, In a fun turn of events, his last little F you to Christian religions was that he was taken to that Catholic hospital where he was held for a while, and it was super ironic. But later on, he did get to have his satanic funeral uh, and was later cremated. Okay. And that, that kind of wraps up the life of the creator of the Church of Satan, Howard Stanton Levy, a.k.a. Anton LeVay, LeVay who was yes. a born showman, a colorful figure, that some people say is kind of like Jim Jones or David Koresh and Charlie Manson, mm. only without all the killy. Yes, <laughs> only without all the, the horrible nastiness. I mean, that's... Uh, I, also, I just want to point this out from Toast Lloyd, another great joke from you. You're on fire today, buddy. Imagine pulling the guy over and seeing Satan on his driver's license exactly. Like, uh, is this a joke? This is funny to you, son. You're doing 32 and a 30. You think this is a joke? Um <laughs> But yeah, um, this is a really interesting one. Like you say, there's definitely elements of cult behavior um, in this occult, um, you know, but the 60s were a time of like a lot of cults popping up around that time. Especially so, Cali. Yeah. In man, San Francisco California. area. Yeah. That's like ground zero for crazy ass cults right there. <laughs> but um, I think if you look at the progression of the Church of Satan since its inception, it's actually... I mean, obviously, when people hear the Church of Satan, they get a certain image, and that's exactly why it's called that. But actually, in terms of its place in society, it's, I mean, beyond benign in terms of evil acts. They aren't committing any form of terrorism to anyone. And right. actually, that for the most part, they seem pretty good people, you know? I, I have to say, the Church of Satan, for all that I've learned in this, mm. is much less icky to me than yeah. a lot of other organized religions and philosophies. Sure. And it actually seems like it, their philosophies and ideas are more closely observed and practiced than some others that just kind of say the words and show up yeah. on Sundays. 
Exactly. So, so there's less hypocrisy involved because it's a bit more, um, I guess, uh, esoteric, maybe a little bit more open-minded. And I, I I appreciate that. And actually, you know, for this guy, for all of this guy's bullshit, and there's a lot, <laughs> naming your kids that, fuck me. Um, I actually think that his legacy from what you've told me is actually reasonably positive. Oh yeah. For the most part. Yeah. He's just kind of a weird guy who started a thing that's now become a, a, a somewhat of a player in, in modern U S politics as a result of the swing to the far right that we're experiencing in some parts of America right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I actually got to see some of his uh, property and like the chalice and one of the original writing things when I went to cool. that, the uh, haunted museum that Zach Baggins haunted museum in Vegas. Nice. They got some of his stuff in there. I'd love to go to that. Holy shit. That's awesome. interesting. Yeah. I mean, I love museums and art galleries anyway, but the idea of like kind of a slightly gimmicky one is like, that's like plug it into my fucking veins, please. That sounds amazing. If you ever come over for a visit, we'll meet up and we'll go to that. Don't, don't take me to vegas i will lose the house i swear to god i'm not a good gambler um yeah so that's i mean this is going to be a really ironically you'd think that someone who founded the church of satan would be a very high scorer but actually no he's going to be an incredibly low scorer because other than like bullshittery and yeah. probably like being a less than great husband although there's there's no kind of there's nothing about i mean there was a restraining order but there's no details about like violence or anything from what you've you've told me nothing so, really there no it's just, just like i mean he's him being a church of satan ass, he's the black pope you yeah, gotta get exactly. a restraining order you've got to get a restraining order against <laughs> the black pope it probably helps him oh my god vlog yes if we do if we do meet up and go to a museum of crazy shit then there would definitely be a blog <laughs> a vlog on the uh the youtube channel for sure um so yeah i'm gonna go quite low with this one i think i'm gonna go like uh 60 i'm gonna go 69 ah! okay all right I'll the take founder it. of the church of satan <laughs> will probably love that shit um yeah he seems he's such a fascinating character and we do there's something about the 60s and 70s you did get a lot of them before everything became very commercialized in the 80s um, yeah. you got weird people who were definitely out there and showmen and there was far less organization. It was just sort of freewheeling. Um, so that's, yeah, really interesting guy, Anton LaVey. And if anybody wants more information on him, there's a couple of books out there. I forgot to mention oh, them, right. but I'm sure we can tag it in there for you to find them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want, because he's interesting as hell. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of thing, I definitely like to read stuff like that. I do like kind of biographies that are slightly unusual, um so yeah I mean, they may be totally made up they may well be complete bullshit but that's just fine that's just you know there'll be no less unreal no less real than hulk hogan's biography which is 90 percent <laughs> lies so that's fine i'm okay with weird biographies i think they're kind of fascinating i read one on um oh my god uh the guy who was like he worked with stalin for years as like kind of a his the keeper of secrets of Stalin and stuff like that. Like oh. that was fucking fascinating. Really loved that. Um and yeah, um turns out that he had a bit of a crush on Stalin when he was younger. He was like, <laughs> oh my God, he was so handsome. Oh my God, Stalin. So uh yeah, 
um, I definitely up for reading um, Anton LaVey's biography. That's really interesting. He was quite mundane, quite uh, despite the profile he was going for, he was actually relatively harmless, Pretty which much, is good. Yeah. So as a kind of a wonderful segue, which you're not supposed to mention really, I'd like to go from one, someone who projected an aura of menace to accomplish their ends, but was actually maybe, you know, quite mundane uh, and not so threatening to someone who chose a life of danger and tried to present themselves as a dangerous, reckless individual, but was actually so fucking bad at it that they ended up kind of influencing the world around them in a, a really interesting way. So I'd like to tell you the story of Steed Bonnet, the dumbest pirate who's ever fucking lived. That sounds um, really familiar. We'll get to why in a minute. Yeah. All right. Um, st- all right. Steed <laughs> Bonnet was born in 1688 as he was christened at Christ Church Parish on 29th of July, 1688. His parents, Edward and Sarah Bonnet, owned an estate of over 400 acres, 160 hectares, southeast of Bridgetown in Barbados, which was bequeathed to Bonnet upon his father's death in 1694. So his father died when he was six years old, maybe five years old. So that's a bad start. That's not a great start. But then again, he and another terrible thing, he owns a plantation, essentially. A let's let's not one. kid ourselves. When you own an estate in Barbados, there's kind of only one thing happening right there, unfortunately. So it's likely that he had... It, it's not mentioned in the articles that I found and did research on, but it's like it's highly likely he owned a lot of slaves. Well yeah, I would so, I would think. That's a probably yeah. a sugarcane plantation. Exactly. Rum. It's Barbados. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on there and I doubt any of them are getting a living wage. So probably. yeah, or being treated <laughs> nicely. So um it's not known where Bonnet received his education, but many who knew him describe him as bookish. Judge Nicholas Trott alluded to Bonnet's liberal education when sentencing when sentencing him. You were smart. Now it's time to die. Um, Bonnet, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Bonnet married Mary Alambi in Bridgetown on the 21st, 21st of November, 1709. They had three sons. Alambi, who died by 1715. So he named his first son after his wife's surname. Um, Edward, interesting, yes, and Steed Jr. That's should what let a that name. name die with you. I know, Steed, Steed, mighty Steed, um, and <laughs> Steed Jr., and a daughter, Mary. And the three surviving children were all younger than five years old when their father abandoned them for piracy. Oh, we're not just talking about burning CDs off the internet or LimeWire piracy, we're talking about actual fucking piracy. I always um, wanted a pirate ship. Yeah, who doesn't? And actually, that's exactly <laughs> what he said. This is the, I just want to start out. This is the ultimate midlife crisis here. It's like, fuck this family thing. I'm off to commit an incredibly popular series of crimes. Yeah. Because so, like piracy was a big thing. It's like, you can't do it. You'll die. But man, is it fun and exciting. <laughs> um, in a general history of pirates, pirates spelt with a Y, so that shows you how old this fucking novel is uh charles johnson wrote that bonnet was driven to piracy 
<laughs> by Mary's nagging. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough of your nagging shit. I'm Stop going asking on a me to take ship. out the trash. I'm going to go and get a pirate career. <laughs> and discomforts he found in a married state. What's like? It's the seven year itch, or like, I mean, it is a midlife crisis. It's like, oh, fuck for this. Sure. I'm, I'm still young. I'll go and be a pirate. <laughs> no sports cars around then. No sports cars. Um, details of Bernays' military service are unclear, but he held the rank of major in the Barbados militia. The rank was probably due to his land holdings, which basically means you're rich, therefore yeah. you get a title, which is like, that. you know, whatever happened to Genghis Khan, his meritocracy, you know, why can't you just give people the rank that they deserve? Um, anyway, um, since deterring slave rebellions was an important function of the militia. Fucking gross. Aha. Yeah. Bernays' militia, militia service coincided with the War of the Spanish Succession, but there is no record that he took part in the fighting. He's too busy repressing slaves by the sounds of it. Um, during the spring of 1717, Steed decided to become a pirate, uh, despite having no knowledge of like piracy or never really getting on board a ship and probably <laughs> vomiting the second he did. He decided to do it anyway. He contracted a local shipyard to build him a 60-ton sloop, which he equipped with 10 guns and named the Revenge. What revenge are you seeking, you spoiled rich prick? You know, uh, the revenge. That's hella nagging that uh, I'm going to get a ship. I know I don't know how to drive one. <laughs> never, never been on one. Put a, a bunch of guns in it, <laughs> and I'm wow. fucking off. That's way bigger than our midlife crisis is today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could just launch a podcast, mate. There's just easier ways to have yeah. a midlife crisis, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was unusual, as most pirates seized their ships by mutiny or by boarding them and by converting a privateer vessel to a pirate ship. Bonet enlisted a crew of more than 70 men, so quite a big crew, really, for a boat like this. He relied on his quartermaster and officer for their knowledge of sailing, and as a result, he was not highly respected by his crew. There's a shocker. Um, in another break from tradition, Bonnet paid his crew wages. Oh. Yeah. So he, he bought a ship and he paid for his crew. He paid for the. He let them live. He bought them food. He treated them really quite well. He let them, like, they weren't waking up at the crack of dawn. He let them lie in. He made sure that they had good water, good supplies. The only thing is he had no respect from them because they were like, I came here to get away from my troubles and maybe get some bounty. But actually, he's just <laughs> paying them a wage. So yeah. did he also give them a percentage of the booty? No, but they um, got a, a very high wage. So he kept the booty for himself, which wasn't a lot. We'll get to that. So he's but, a capitalist. Um, yeah, he was a true capitalist. <laughs> Surprisingly progressive for a slave owner. I would yeah. say it's a shame he couldn't have done that for the people under his his kind of yoke back in Barbados. Uh, Royal Navy intelligence reported that he departed Carlisle Bay, Barbados, under cover of darkness. Bonet's initial cruise took him to the coast of uh, the coast of the colony of Virginia, near the entrance to Chesapeake Bay, where he captured and plundered four vessels and burned the Barbadian ship Turbot to keep news of his crimes from arriving at his home island. You don't want the missus finding out. Burn that <laughs> uh, shit. Oh, man. 
Uh, oh, no. quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quickly. <laughs> don't don't let them find out. Burn it. He sailed north to New York City, taking two more ships and picking up naval supplies and releasing captives at Gardner's Island. By August 1717, Bonnet had returned to the Carolinas, where he attacked two more ships, a brigantine from Boston, a brigantine, I don't know, a brigantine from Boston, and a Barbadian sloop. Again, he doesn't want anyone finding out about his career, do they? Right. Don't tell yeah. my wife. Please You're don't tell fire. her. I'm, I still want to go back to my land, possibly. He stripped the brigantine, but brought the cargo-filled Barbadian sloop to an inlet off North Carolina to use for careening and repairing the the revenge. So basically, you strip it for parts at that point. So After the, even though he doesn't know what he's doing, he's doing a pretty good job so far. He's doing all right, isn't he? You it must know? be easy to be a pirate when you got money. Well, yeah, apparently it must be easy to do anything when you've got money, really, isn't it? Um, after the Barbadian sloop tackle was used to careen the revenge, the ship was dismantled for timber and the remains were burned. See, there's no I, no Ikea, no Home Depot back then. You couldn't just be like, excuse me, this Ekadalin table, can I use it to repair the mast? No, you just take another ship and use bits of it to repair your own. You Smart. Go. Really? Yeah, that's, that's sensible. Um, in September 1717, Bonnet set course for Nassau, which was an infamous pirate den on the island of New Providence in the Bahamas. En route, he encountered, fought, and escaped from a Spanish man of war. The revenge was badly damaged, Bonnet was seriously injured, and half of the crew of the sloop was killed or wounded in the encounter. Putting in at New- Nassau... Bonnet replaced his casualties and refitted the Revenge, increasing the sloop's armaments to 12 guns. More guns! More <laughs> guns, I tell you. He's definitely American. Well, um, dude, you've got to be spooked getting into yeah, it with well, yeah. a, a man of war. That's a dangerous Big ship at the time. Ship. Yeah, that is <laughs> huge. Uh, yeah, and basically he escaped by the skin of his teeth. Um, while at Nassau, Bonnet met Captain Benjamin Hornigold, awesome name, and a little-known person called Edward Teach for the first time. Yeah, Teach, better known as Blackbeard, played a large role in the remainder of Bonnet's life. Yes, as Derek's, maybe one of your descendants. I, I went, uh, I went as Blackbeard, uh, Blackbeard, as uh, for a Halloween costume a few years back, and that- my my wife went as a uh, a female pirate. Uh, oh yeah, gosh. yeah, bon- uh, Bonnie. Yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, I can't remember. The Black Flags on Stars was really big at the time. Yes, it was. Yeah, and (laughs) this is really good. Um, He also met one Edward Kenway. I didn't know that. I remember meeting this guy in Assassin's Creed Black Flag. uh, Yeah, wow. I haven't played that game yet. I really need to. Um, So, yeah, he's he's met Blackbeard. um, And... It's probably not a good development for him to be. Hornigold's a, a pirate hunter later on, right? He is, yes. Yeah. A bunch of people change careers at various points in this story. It's it's kind of weird, but also you go where the money is, oh, yeah. essentially yeah. in this in this scenario. Um, disabled by his wounds, Bonnet temporarily ceded command of the Revenge to Blackbeard. That's a fucking mistake. But remained aboard as a guest of the most <laughs> experienced pirate captain. Of all time, Blackbeard and Bonnet weighed anchor and sailed northward to Delaware Bay, where they plundered 11 ships. So the productivity has just gone through the roof now that Blackbeard's in charge. Just crushing it. Yeah, he is just like, ah, this be how you do a pirate in, you giant idiot. <laughs> um, 
On September 29th, 1717, the Revenge, captured, uh, captained by Blackbeard, plundered the sloop Betty, which had a cargo full of Madeira wine. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's a good time right there. Captain Cod, <laughs> whose merchant ship uh, was taken on the 12th of October, described Bonnet as walking the deck in his nightshirt, lacking any command and still unwell from his wounds. Fuck Just me. That is wandering sad. around in the days. Yeah. All fucked up. Wearing his pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, man. Um, the Revenge later captured the and looted the Spofford and Sea Nymph, which were leaving Philadelphia. Um, on the 22nd of October, the Revenge spotted, uh, stopped and robbed the Robert and good intent of their supplies. Um, the pace of the plundering is really picking up at this point. Yeah, they're just killing it one after the next after the next yeah he's super efficient this blackbeard guy um <laughs> uh, blackbeard and bonnet left delaware bay and returned to the caribbean in november where they successfully continued their piracy on the 17th of november a 200 ton ship named the concord was attacked by two pirate craft nearly 100 miles away from the island of martinique the lieutenants on board described the pirate vessel as having as one having uh, 12 guns and 120 men, and the other having 8 guns and 30 men. The crew of the Concord put up a fight, but surrendered after the pirates bombarded them with two volleys of cannons and musketry. Also, uh, there was some middle-aged dude walking around in a onesie with a nightcap on on the deck. <laughs> yeah, there was that as well. I can't imagine who that was. It scared uh, the hell out of them. They had to, yeah, they had to surrender. Not. When we saw that guy, we were like, they're not messing around. They're not even getting dressed for this fight. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Blackbeard took Concord and sailed south into the Grenadines, where he renamed the ship the Queen Anne's Revenge. Aha! Instead of just the dun, Revenge, dun, dun. it's the Queen Anne's Revenge. There's that name. Yeah, uh, buddy. He did this as an insult to King George I. Uh, some time after the 19th of December, Bonnet and Blackbeard separated. Bonnet sailed into the Western Caribbean, and in March 1718, he encountered the 400-ton merchant vessel Protestant Caesar off Honduras. The ship escaped in, and his frustrated crew became restive. That's a word I haven't heard in a while, restive. restive. They just, yeah, they, they thought he was shit basically oh. um they that's the easy way of saying it when bonnet encountered blackbeard again shortly afterwards bonnet's crew deserted him joining blackbeard blackbeard put a henchman named richards in command of the revenge bonnet surprised that his colleague had betrayed him found himself as a guest on board the queen anne's revenge bonnet confided in a few loyal crew members that he is all ready to give up his criminal life if he could exile himself in spain and portugal Benane would not exercise command again until the summer of 1718. He's basically a captive at this point. Um, this had been coming for a while, really. You know, like basically Blackbeard's ingratiating himself with this incredibly rich dude, right. getting on board with his like crew of people, and then when the chance comes around, just steals them right under him. So yeah, take the money and run. He's a exactly. pirate, and he yeah. used him kind of. <laughs> I mean, it's, anybody could have seen this coming but i think this guy is incredibly naive and very and blackbeard's an incredibly intelligent pirate so this was bound to happen essentially but he just didn't see it coming um under captain richards the revenge captured a jamaican sloop called the adventure captained by david Harriet. Harriet joined the pirates, and blackbeard possessed three ships bonnet accompanied blackbeard to south carolina where Blackbeard's four vessels blockaded the port of Charleston. 
in uh, Charlestown, sorry, in the late spring of 1718. Needing a place to rest and refit their vessels, Blackbeard and Bonnet headed north to Topsail Island, where the Queen Anne's Revenge, Revenge ran aground and was lost. Dun, dun, dun. Leaving the three vessels at Topsail Island, Blackbeard and Bonnet went ashore and journeyed to Bath, which was the capital of North Carolina. Once there, both men accepted pardons from Ooh. Governor Charles Eden under King George's Act of Grace, putatively on condition of their renouncing piracy forever. So he's out yeah. at this point. He's he's done his shit. He's somehow still alive. Gotten away Black, with it. Gotten away with it. He's somehow back in Blackbeard's good graces, even though that he could have thrown him overboard at any point. <laughs> and he's like, he's not even going to get charged with a crime. At this point, the smart move is to give it up, right? Go back home. Yep. Somewhere yeah. else, maybe. Take your chips and run. Exactly. You've you've done your thing. You've midlife crisis over. Get your shit together and just sort of do something. If you have to do the divorce thing, that's fine. But don't carry on. You're clearly not very good at this, and your crew keep leaving you for more competent people. So give it up. But no, yeah. he's he ain't gonna do that. He's not a smart man. While Blackbeard quickly, uh, quietly, sorry, returned to Topsail Island, Bonnet stayed in Bath to get a clearance to take the revenge to Denmark's Caribbean colony of St. Thomas, where he planned to buy a letter of Marquis and go privateering against Spanish ships. So oh, he's, really? He's being a pirate. He's just doing it under license this time. So. Yeah, I'm going to do it legal. Oh, exactly, yeah. Be a legal criminal. Why the hell not? Eden granted Bonet this clearance. He's pivoting, so that's a really smart move on his part, actually. So he's, you know, kind of a shit pirate, but a smart-ish man. You know, like he's a businessman at heart, essentially. It's, it's a lot less easy to be hung when you're doing it legally, and it exactly, is a good yeah. pivot. Yes, that's that's very true. That's a, a smart pivot, and uh, he's avoided the noose for a little while longer. Um, Bonet returned to Topsail Island to find that Blackbeard had beached. The majority of the former crew robbed the Revenge and two other vessels of the squadron of most of their supplies. What a fucking bastard Super this pirate. guy is. Yeah, he's like <laughs> pirate in any way he can. Um, yeah. And sailed away for parts unknown at that famous wrestling location aboard the Sloop Adventure, carrying all the loot with him. Why does he keep trusting this guy? Um, in late June or early July 1718, Bonnet resumed command of the Revenge. Few, if any, of his original crew from Barbados were still aboard. Bonnet reinforced the Revenge by rescuing a number of men whom Blackbeard had marooned on Sandbar um, at, at Topsail Island. So it's like, I don't go and crew for this idiot or slow agonizing death yeah uh, crew of this idiot slow agonizing death uh, not, and not the funny much. thing is not all of them wanted to go no <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them decided to stay um shortly after benet resumed command the crew of uh, a bum boat <laughs> uh, told him that blackbeard was moored in okra coke Inlet. Okay. I don't know where that is. Bonnet set sail at once to hunt down his treacherous ex-confederate, but could not find him, and Bonnet never met Blackbeard again. He was running scared, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get away from this Bonnet guy. He's got it out for me. He might even capture me. Sure. 
Um, although Bonnet apparently never discarded his hopes of reaching St. Thomas and getting his letter of marquee, two pressing pro- bleh, problems tempted him back into piracy. First, Blackbeard had stolen the food and supplies he and his men needed to subsist. Uh, one pirate testified at his first trial that no more than 10 or 11 barrels remained aboard the Revenge. You're going through like two or three of those a day, so that's not very long. Uh, second, St. Thomas was in the midst of the Atlantic hurricane, uh, which would last until autumn. However, returning to freebooting meant nullifying Bonnet's pardon, so he's kind of fucked. Um, oh. History will say they were just friends. I, I think I know where you're going with that toast, Zoid, and we'll get to that a little bit later as well. Um, hoping to preserve his pardon, Bonnet adopted the alias Captain Thomas and changed the Revenge's name to the Royal James. That'll fool them. Yeah, <laughs> this guy with a fake mustache walking around in his pajamas. It's not yeah. me. Fucking hell. Um, the name Royal James that Bonnet tr- conferred on his sloop was presumably a reference to the younger Prince James Stuart and may suggest that Bonnet or his men had Jacobite sympathies. Uh, one of Bonnet's uh, prisoners further reported that wit- uh, witnessing Bonnet's men drinking to the health of the old pretender and wishing to see him king of the English nation. So that's there's politics going into this piracy thing now. Okay. It's kind of amazing. Uh, Bonnet further tried to distinguish, uh, disguise, I beg your pardon, his return to piracy by engaging in a pretense of trade with the next two vessels he robbed. Soon after, Bonnet quit the charade of trading and reverted to naked piracy. I really hope that's not literal. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's lost the nightshirt. The nightshirt and the nightcap night is gone, <laughs> just running around naked. He's got no respect, so why the hell not, you know? Um, uh, in July 1718, he cruised north de- to Delaware Bay, pillaging another 11 vessels. He's getting quite good at this now. For um, a dude that started out not knowing what he was doing, just running away from his wife. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point by Toasterzoid. Bonnet was the only capitalist pirate. Uh, one it was the only capitalist pirate in a world full of socialist ones. That's very <laughs> true. Here you go, boys. Have a little bit of this. And there's some universal health care thrown in there as well. Uh, Do they have health care aboard the Queen I, I think Vince? it's just pulling things out at that point, isn't it? That's the health care. Uh, you need a bit of alcohol. That'll numb the pain. Um, so, uh, so he recruit, he cruised to Delaware Bay, pillaging another 11 vessels. He took several prisoners, some of whom joined his crew. So he's actually becoming somewhat persuasive now. Maybe he's built up a name for himself. People are actually joining his crew. Again, it's not much of an option, though, is it? You can go below deck and live in a, a fucking cell for a few months, or you can join my crew. So I guess it's not that great. Um, while Bonnet set loose most of his prizes after losing them, he retained control of the last two ships he captured, the sloops Francis and Fortune. On uh, the 1st of August, 1718, the Royal James and the two captured sloops sailed southward from Delaware Bay. The captured sloops lagged behind and Bonnet threatened to sink them if they did not stay closer. During the passage, Bonnet and his crew divided their loot into shares of about 10 or 11 pounds and distributed them amongst themselves. This is the only time Bonnet is known to have practiced the piracy custom. 
and it suggested he had uh, by then abandoned his unorthodox approach of paying regular wages to his crew. Booty all round. Dude, pirate on salary is just the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> so it's, that's not, oh my God, I can't wait to be a pirate. I get a regular income. Oh, they pay my taxes for me. I don't even have to do it myself. Oh, they've got this great pension plan. Oh, I can't wait to be a pirate. The pirate pension. <laughs> the pirate pension. Arr, would you like some gold or would you like some gems to retire on? Um, 12 <laughs> days out of Delaware Bay, Bonnet ent- uh, entered Sorry, the estuary of the Cape Fear River and anchored north of the mouth of a small waterway now known as Bonnet's Creek. About to find Uh-oh. out why. Yeah. The Royal James had begun to leak badly and was in need of careening. Shortly afterwards, a small shallop, don't know what that is, um, entered the river and was captured. Bonnet had the shallop broken up to help repair the Royal James. Smart move again. Uh, the work of careening was done in whole or in part by the prisoners Bonnet had captured. Bonnet threatened at least one man with marooning if he did not work and the slaves. Uh, slave work with the slaves. He also had slaves to repair the Royal James. Ugh. Um, Bonnet remained in the Cape Fear River for the next 45 days. According to Bonnet's boatswain, Ignatius Pell, which is an awesome name, the pirates <laughs> intended to wait out the hurricane season there. By the end of August, news had reached Charlestown that Bonnet's vessel were moored in uh, the Cape Fear River. Robert Johnson, governor of South Carolina, author- authorized Colonel William Rett to lead a naval expedition against the pirates, even though the Cape Fear River was in North Carolina's jurisdiction. Fuck the jurisdiction, go and sink those damn ships. <laughs> After a false start due to the appearance of another pirate ship near Charlestown, Rett arrived in the mouth of Cape Fear on the 26th of September with two eight gun sloops, the Henry and the Sea Nymph, a different Sea Nymph from the one that was captured before. Also, weird fucking name for a ship that. Um, and a, f- a force of 130 militiamen who Ooh. were probably armed to the fucking teeth at this and he point. He was down to 30 plus some yeah, slaves. Yeah, and Ooh. plus his slaves and captured. Yeah, it's not good. Um, Bonet initially mistook Rhett's squadron for merchantmen and sent three canoes to capture them. Rhett's flagship Henry had run aground, run aground in the river mouth, enabling uh, Bonnet's canoe crews to approach. Recognizing the heavily armed and crewed sloops as hostile and returned uninjured to warn Bonnet. The sun had set by the time the rising tide lifted uh, the Henry off the river bottom. The 46 uh, pirates, so it's 46, I guess that, and then including slaves as well, were scattered among the three sloops. During the night, Bonnet brought all of them aboard the uh, Royal James and planned to fight his way out of the sea in the morning rather than risk the Cape Fears River narrow channels in the dark. I wonder how this will go. Um, it's not good. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Bonnet also uh, wrote a letter to Governor Johnson threatening to burn all of the ships in Charleston Harbour. That's that's not a very good threat, mate. It's not going to work. Um, yeah, I mean... You have one ship and 45 crewmen. That's the nuclear option when you don't <laughs> yeah. have a nuke. I will wipe everyone off the face of this earth. <laughs> yeah, sure, buddy. Um, <laughs> at daybreak on the 27th of September, 1718, Bonnet set sail towards Retford Rett's forces, and all three sloops opened fire, initiating the Battle of Cape Fear River. That's a fucking awesome name, that, man. Yeah, it is. Although every yeah, time you say Cape Fear, I think of the Stephen King. So, <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Is it no, Steven? Uh, uh, the the films, the the what the remake with Robert De Niro. And, oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I don't know who wrote it now. No, I don't either. It was re- it was a remake of like a six uh, a fifties one with like Gary. Gary Cooper, I don't think that's right. Uh, but yeah, Cape Fear. If you get a chance to watch Cape Fear, either of them, original or the Robert De Niro 90s remake, watch them. They are fucking great films. Um, so uh, the two South Carolina sloops um, split up in an effort to bracket the Royal James. Not sure what that is either. Bonnet tried to avoid the trap by steering the Royal James close to the river's western shore but ran aground again in the process. Oopsie. Rhett's closing sloops also ran aground, leaving only the Henry and range of the Royal James, just a bunch of smelly, dumb fucking sailors shooting each other at this point because they can't fucking... Water, land. Like They can't tell the difference. (laughs) (laughs) The battle was a stalemate for the next five or six hours. Fuck me, that must have been annoying. Yeah, with all the participants immobilized... We'll get you first. No, it's no. We'll get you. Just like backwards and forwards for five or six hours. But and men... that's why it took so long is because they had to keep reloading. Yeah, and exactly, they were yelling, yeah. fighting. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming to get you. Bullet coming your way. And it's just like a little tiny derringer <laughs> bullet. Uh, Bonet's men had the advantage that their deck was healed away from their opponents, so they've got natural cover, giving them uh, while the Henry's deck was tilted towards the pirates. So the fact that they hadn't won. Kind of shows how shit they were, really. Um, yeah, uh, Rhett's men were exposed to punishing musket fire, but not many of them died. Bonet's forces suffered 12 casualties while killing 10 and wounding 14 of Rhett's 70 man crews. So, land ho, yeah, they uh, what <laughs> sorry, what does a pirate uh call a prostitute? A land ho, I, I like that. That's good, buddy. <laughs> that's a good one. Nice, one toasty, boy. Nice. He's here all week. <laughs> Tip your waitresses. Um, yeah, so basically some of the men died, but he's still got a lot more um, on his side, this wreck guy. Most of Bonet's men fought enthusiastically, challenging their enemies to board and fight hand-to-hand and tying a knot in their flag as a mock signal to come aboard and render aid. So, ha-ha! Yes, you, br- you brigands! How dare you! I challenge you! It's like the Col- Conor McGregor of their day. It really is. Um, <laughs> Bonet himself patrolled the deck with a pistol drawn, threatening to kill any pirate who faltered in the fight. Man, he's found his fucking gusto now. He's found his inner pirate, finally. So now uh, retreat means death? Pretty much, yeah. He's like, so from, from salary and good stuff to if you back off, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, he's he's gone full USSR at this point. <laughs> Not even getting any weapons. I will shoot you. Uh, nevertheless, some of the prisoners who had been forced to join the pirates' crew refused to fire on Rhett's men, and one narrowly escaped death at Bonet's hands in the confusion of the engagement. I'd run too if I were this dude. Uh, the battle was ultimately decided when the rising tide lifted Rhett's sloop free while temporarily leaving the Royal James stranded. Uh, Bonet was left helpless, watching while the enemy vessels repaired their rigging and closed uh, to board his paralyzed vessels. His vessel, sorry, outnumbered almost three to one. Bonet's men uh, would have been would have had little hope of winning a boarding action. Bonet ordered his gunner George Ross to blow up the Royal James's powder magazine. Ross apparently attempted this, but was overruled by the remainder of the crew, who surrendered. They essentially mutinied at the last minute. 
Um, he was gonna blow us blow all up. The fucking ship. Yeah, I can see yeah. why they re- they no, we're not on board with this plan. Actually, <laughs> that's a dumb idea, crazy dude. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> Rhett arrested the pirates and returned to Charlestown with his prisoners on the third of October, seventeen eighteen. In Charlestown, Bonnet was separated from the bulk of his crew and held for three weeks along with his boatswain Ignatius Pell and his sailing master David Herriot at the ta- uh, sorry at the home of town marshal Nathaniel Partridge. House arrest, you know, celebrities and the rich have been treated different from normal criminals for entirety of history, and it's carrying on here with this pirate living. You know, getting his own room and being didn't fed Mr. properly. Didn't Mr. Teach end up with his head off? He did. Yes, he died <laughs> a very violent death. Yeah. Um, Pirate Edwin Robinson, the gunner from Newcastle upon Time, and the remaining crew were held outside of Charlestown at the watch house at White Point. On October the 24th, Bonnet and Harriet escaped, probably colluding um, with local merchant Richard Tuckerman. Governor Johnson at once placed a seven hundred pound bounty. Um, I didn't do my calculation, um, my inflation calculation, purely because um, inflation calculations don't go that far back. They don't go back to seventeen eighteen. But seven hundred—that's <laughs> like, yes, I will never work again, and my descendants will be just fine. Thank you very much. That's like Michael Jordan NBA money. Right there. Yeah, That's, he really wanted him. Yeah, he was like, I'm sick of this fucking guy. I put him up in my house. Now I'm paying for him to be captured. Um, a dispatch search teams track them down. Benet and Harriet, accompanied by a slave and a Native American, obtained a boat and made for the north shore of Charleston Harbor. But foul winds and a lack of supplies forced the four onto Sullivan's Island. Governor Johnson sent a posse under Rhett to Sullivan's Island to hunt for Bonnet. The posse discovered Bonnet after an extensive search and opened fire, killing Harriet and wounding the two slaves. Bonnet surrendered and was returned to Charlestown while awaiting trial. Some sort of civil uprising in his support took place within the city, and event authorities were later described as having nearly resulted in the burning of the town and the overthrow of the government. This guy's popular now. Pirate riots, right? I know. That's kind of crazy. Um, Wow, uh, it, it's kind of a bit of a 180 for where this guy started. Anyway, Bonet awaited his execution in the court of guard, uh, a militia guardhouse in the city where the current exchange and uh, provost stands today. Uh, I'm not sure why that is. Um, on the 10th of November, 1718, Bonet was brought to trial before Sir Nicholas Trott, sitting in his capacity as Vice Admiralty Judge. Trot had already sat in judgment of Bonnet's crew and sentenced most of them to hang. Uh, Bonnet was formally charged with two acts of piracy against the Francis and the Fortune, whose commanders were on hand to testify against Bonnet in person. Ignatius Pell had turned King's evidence in the trial of Bonnet's crew and testified somewhat reluctantly against Bonnet. Bonnet pleaded not guilty and conducted his own defence with assistance of counsel, cross-examining the witnesses to no avail because he's a pompous idiot, and calling a character witness in his favour. Um, did he have any? I don't. I mean, he must have tried one. One. But, I mean, everyone's got a character witness, right? Anyway, you know, I'm sure even the worst war criminals will have one person go, "Yeah, let me borrow his bowl of 
like sugar from him once. I, totally, <laughs> I like him. Uh, Trot rendered a damning summation of the evidence, and the jury delivered a guilty verdict. Two days later, after treating the convicted men to a stern lecture on his violation of Christian duties, Trot sentenced Bonnet to death. While awaiting his uh, execution, Bonnet wrote to Governor Johnson, begging abjectly for clemency, a promising to have his own arms and legs cut off as assurance that he would never act com- again, commit piracy. What the fuck, mate? Dude, don't kill me. You can have my arms and legs. You can have my arms and legs. Just leave me my head and mouth and you know the other bits <laughs> attached to my body. Wow, that's... That's real desperation right there. Yeah, it is. Uh, Toast is always right. He's had a really good character arc. For oh, sure. You know, and, and the only real in-depth that I've known about him before this is the super fictionalized and sensationalized and mixed up Black Sails, which yes. is super awesome, though. It is a really, really good series. And actually, there's another, there's a few versions, a few interpretations of this guy out there, but I'll get to... Um, another more recent one in a minute okay. as well. At his trial, Bonnet display, uh, downplayed his own authority over his pirate crew. He told the court that his crew engaged in uh, piracy against his will. <laughs> <laughs> and I was warned, just there and they went crazy. <laughs> I just wanted to go on holiday and they just started stealing things. Um, he war- He had warned them that he would leave the crew unless they stopped robbing vessels. Yeah, damn it, <laughs> don't do that us. or I'm out of here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Charles Charles Johnson wrote that Bonnet's visibly disintegrating mind moved many Carolinians to, pit, Carolinians, Carolinians to pity, particularly the female population. They want a piece of the guy. <laughs> <laughs> because he's, oh man, he's willing to chop off his arms and legs. I want to marry that guy. Um, on London papers later reported that the governor order, uh, delayed his execution seven times. Man, that's like, just get it over with at that point. That felt bad for him. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe it was uh, his form of torture because he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to evade me so many times. I'm going to make you wait for it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, I guess that kind of works. That's horrible. But yeah, it is potentially what happened. Um, so he also further stated that he'd been asleep. During the capture of the Sloop Francis, the court did not accept these protestations. <laughs> Botswayman Ignatius Pell testified that Bonnet's quartermaster, Robert Tucker, had more power than Bonnet. A powerful quartermaster appears to have been a common feature of pirate crews in the early modern era. I don't fucking buy it, and neither did the court, because Bonnet was eventually hanged at White Point Garden in Charlestown on the 10th of December, 1718. The period comedy television series... Our Flag Means Death, created uh-huh. by David Jenkins, stars Reese Darby as Steed Bonnet and Taika Waititi as Blackbeard. Okay. Um, Jenkins depicts a romantic relationship between the two, which is really fucking hilarious. I love that. Because um, Bonnet's got like a whole wardrobe full. And he did. He had a wardrobe full. Like, he's really a rich elaborate guy. Flash. He's just a rich guy. He's, like, he's basically kind of like Liberace, only a pirate. He's uh, got really <laughs> elaborate clothes, and a lot of these guys are like not washing for weeks well, at a time. So, see, little known fact: ninety percent of being a good pirate is costuming. Yeah, apparently, apparently that's the case. <laughs> you got to so, look the part. <laughs> you've got to look the part, and you've got to act the part. But he he didn't do either. He just like walked around in his nightgown and smelled good. Uh, so that's <laughs> Steed Bonnet. Probably the dumbest pirate ever. I would say probably one of the least successful 
in terms of like his legacy is terrible. You know, a lot of pirates are either feared or seen as vicious. He's seen as like something as a failure. It's kind of a joke. It's a joke of a pirate. Yeah, and the fact that like Taika Waititi and like David Jenkins saw his story and they're like, oh, this would make for a great comedy. Like that kind (laughs) of speaks speaks wonders really for this. So that's Steve Bonet. Uh, Thoughts on this foppish midlife crisis pirate guy? Well, unfortunately. Because of the good character arc, I kind of like yeah. him. I like, I mean, I do kind of like him. He did develop, but... But still, he gets extra high idiot points for saying, mm. uh, I was just there, and they randomly, spontaneously <laughs> became pirates. They started the other crimes. I slept through. I, yeah. You know, I mean, the battle was raging, and, you know, I drank a little bit of the wine that we stole. Yeah. <clears throat> I was always in my nightgown. What was I going to do in that thing? <laughs> so... so. His excuses were dumb, and oh, yeah. he had the opportunity to to get away with it, scot free, mm. and go do it on the legal side. Exactly. And for those reasons, I think that he deserves a solid eighty. Nice. Okay, I'll take a solid a solid eighty for that one. And also, um, he just had he seemed incredibly naive because he kept on trusting Blackbeard. Yeah. Anyone, yeah. Anyone could see where that was going. Um, if he'd actually paid attention, he probably wouldn't have trusted him after the first time. Your Honor, if you are what you eat, then I'm an innocent man. <laughs> oh, goodness. That's an amazing <laughs> line. Cannibal humor. Yeah, that's, that's very <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, I I had a lot of fun researching this. I was, I was kind of aware of this guy. I'd forgotten his name in the background. Loads of other people have covered him. A bunch of people have done like videos on him and stuff. There's some from this time in history, because piracy and the kind of the pirate era. It's one of those things where people think it went on a lot longer than it did. Um, a, a bit like cowboy era. That, that wasn't a particularly long period in history. It's like maybe 10 years or something. Um, I mean, you can, if you consider the ones that are still around cowboy and yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, wild West wasn't very long at all. Not at all. It was tamed very quickly, really. And the wild, um, wild West was way too long. Oh, that was way too. That was like 35 <laughs> minutes too long. Uh, so yeah, like there's some interesting stories. I mean, obviously Blackbeard, famous one. There's also um And Bonnie, a, that's the woman Bonnie, pirate. Yes. Um Friends with Blackbeard. That's it. Yeah. And also um there was a pirate queen over in um I can't remember where, but um I think she just took over I think she was on the vessel with her husband, her husband died, she became the kind of the Wasn't captain. that Anne Bonnie? May have been Anne Bonnie. I think it was over in there was another one maybe over in the Far East, um, oh. over in towards China. But yeah, uh, she was really successful. Maybe it was. Maybe I'm confusing the stories. But there's a bunch of like, it's one of those things, again, going back to cowboys and stuff. So there's like slight mythology to them a little bit and um, really interesting characters. And obviously some parts have been embellished. Um, so yeah, he gained a nickname because of his unusual methods of gentleman pirate. Yes, I didn't include that. That's very, very true. Um, and yeah, it's um, a weird point in history, but actually he was somewhat progressive for his time. Um, I mean, yeah, he still a had slaves, of... but... Well, okay, the the neat thing here too, um, <clears throat> and now I, now wait, I just, you ever start saying something and the words have already started <laughs> and then you're like, what the hell was I going to say? What was I going to say? Man, we're getting old. 
Uh, <laughs> Never mind then. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but no, it, it's um, it's a, a weird thing because obviously he came from money. He could have lived out life in an un unbelievable luxury. He could have lived a comfortable life for 65, 70 years, however long people lived in the, the Barbados at the time. I've decided I want to change my score because I forgot that he was rich and ran away from his wife to be a that's, pirate. So now he oh, gets yeah. an 85. 85, yeah, for abandoning his family. <laughs> also, I just wanted to go back because I completely forgotten about like when he started being a pirate. So we know he's dead by 1718. And when did he run away from his home? I'm just going to go here. Uh, 1717? Yeah, it's, it was a, it's a, a year and a fast half. year. <laughs> Man, he was shit. It's yeah, unbelievable. Well, oh the my God. Pirates didn't actually have very long careers, no. though. I mean, usually longer than a year and a half. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you feel like the majority of them would be smart enough to get out once they've gotten they've got a fair bit of loot, so they can go and buy a bit of land and and become like you know farmers or whatever. But yeah, um, year and a half. He was a That's, pirate for before he was dead. <laughs> that is very not good. Very, very bad at being a pirate. Oh my god! So yeah, Steed Bonnet, the what a potentially yeah the worst pirate of all time, and um, uh, what's his name again? Levey. Anton Levey. Anton Levey and Bonnet. Uh, <laughs> kind of a nice matching episode. This he couldn't handle the pirate life. Well, you know pirate life he chose a pirate life the pirate life didn't choose him so yeah. uh yeah that's, that's how that works uh so yeah kind of two people who essentially in this moment um kind of they they inferred more than they could actually do you know there was a menace that they wanted to be seen as like menacing and, and slightly frightening and intense and all this but actually both of them kind of I one of them was either you know just a normal guy playing up to it, or another guy was a rich normal guy playing up to it. So, it yeah, kind of With a bit of both, really. Real common theme here, though. Mm. Amazing costumes. Amazing costumes for <laughs> sure. And actually, if um, I wonder if um, they'd swapped costumes, I wonder um, if they'd been taken even more seriously. If you got the the guy who is from the uh, church of satan dressing up as a really dandy pirate and then you've got the <laughs> captain of a vessel dressing up as satan i feel like maybe there would have been a little bit different reaction to that but that yeah that, that could have worked well nobody's yeah. gonna be as scared as they were of the naked pirate the naked piracy which i don't think meant what it would what, what, what no no that was more fun to think of, of words on the the part of the writer for that one <laughs> i would not have gone with naked piracy uh, because that's like, um, yeah, maybe ancient Greece. Maybe they were naked pirates back then. But, uh, <laughs> so there we go. So, um, yeah, Anton LaVey gets a 69, dude. And uh, and Charles, uh, sorry, not Charles, Steed Bonnet gets an 85 for being a shit pirate and an even worse husband. So, yeah, that's that's our show. I had a lot of fun researching this because I was aware of the story, but not all of the details. But, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, Church of Satan stuff. I'm really pleased you did that. It was really interesting. I wasn't sure, like, uh, how everybody would like it or how you would like it. Um, <laughs> just because, like, I mean, I don't I don't even know if he necessarily fits, per se, per perhaps why he got such a low, low score. I just wanted to talk about him. No, and that's so... Yeah, and that's totally fine. Like, you know, we don't always do this to kind of 
highlight like tremendously evil stupidity stuff like sometimes it's just really interesting stories you know i mean um there are some obvious ones like elizabeth holmes is an example of someone who you know what did you think was going to happen but actually the reason why i covered malachi love robinson was because like who the fuck fakes being a doctor at 17 years old and then Dude. like carries on doing it till they're in prison yeah so, Again you know, and again. Exactly. And, and in many ways, that's kind of similar to Charles Bernays. Like, I'm going to be a pirate now. It's not how that works, actually. So you can try if you want, but it fake it till you make it. it. Yeah. Until or you, you get, get home. You get, you get taken to uh, the noose and you're left hanging. Uh, so that's our show for this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. This uh, Thank you to uh, Toast Zoid for being with us again. This will be. Um, by the time uh, you guys are seeing this, it'll probably be out. Uh, the reason we're recording this so early is because a uh, little bit of a holiday for for, for me here and uh, by proxy for Derek as well. There's no need to do any research for a while, but I'm going uh, for a well-deserved holiday on Anglesey and I'm looking forward to it. And um, yeah, this uh, episode will be coming out um, kind of at the beginning of June. So We'll see you then, to the people listening to it then. If you want to follow us on social media, please go to Instagram and follow us at History's Greatest Idiots. If you want to follow us on Twitter, go to at Greatest Idiots on Twitter. And if you would like to go to patreon.com slash History's Greatest Idiots, you can sling us some money, get yourself some merch, uh, free merch when you sign up, actually. And yeah, a bunch of awesome behind the scenes stuff, your name read out, all sorts of perks, which I've again forgotten to read up on, but that's because we're in London for the last week. Um, so yeah. Um, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, and we will see you again very soon. Take care now. Bye.